on deck on Turning the Corner. The Athletics' Cody Stebenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley discuss Tarek Skubal's face, Jake Rogers looking legit, and Michael Fulmer, the closer. And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as usual, Cody Stegman from The Athletic, recording another late night sesh of Detroit Tigers podcasting. Cody, how you doing, my man? Doing all right. It's a good thing everything in Michigan still closes at 11, because I really don't have anything better to do right now other than record a podcast. Maybe that'll change uh, here soon, though. Yes, and that's a little tease for how we'll end the podcast is things closing at earlier times and maybe you would uh, expect, so that's what we call in the business a tease. Also a tease, the Detroit Tigers are playing solid baseball. They've won. They've got a nice little stretch of wins here, including sweeping the Royals. We're recording this on Saturday night, so they have split with the Chicago Cubs, and I said this sort of tongue-in-cheek, I think like the second week of the season, like my Dennis Green, the Tigers are who we thought they were after they had that great opening weekend, and then kind of drop a couple series. When I say the Tigers are who I thought they were, this is kind of what I mean, where they're very capable of having some highs and lows, not that putrid stretch that we've been seeing the past couple weeks yeah i was i was talking to someone this week and it was kind of like i think things in the al central have just normalized minus the twins the twins are inexplicably very bad right now True. but the royals lost 11 in a row had a massive cooling off after their massive hot start and i still think the royals are a better team than the tigers or, or maybe more of a model of what the tigers should have done this offseason but the Royals were never going to win this division. They cooled off. The Tigers, not the best team, but I don't think they're, you know, they're not as bad as the 2019 Tigers. They're not as bad as the 2003 Tigers. And we're seeing that rebound. They're 6-6 six and six in May right now. If you take out losing 18 of 21, if you go uh, kind of like Turk Skubal's latest out and kill at the first inning and the, uh, the sixth inning, it was pretty good. That's kind of how the Tigers season has been so far. You just kind of have to ignore that awful, awful stretch in the middle. The good news is the product has been a lot more watchable and a lot more enjoyable. Might be too late to um, pay much attention to the standings, but I think you can go back to enjoying watching this team play baseball. We've even been reminded that this team has some fun players and can be fun on certain nights. And that's the thing, like fun to watch. And And in terms of what I wanted to get out of this season, besides number one the the development of the minor league guys is I just kind of wanted to see a major league team with some fight Uh, we're recording this as the NBA season regular season is about to wrap up and as a Detroit Pistons fan I'm hella excited about what's going on with the Pistons they've won 20 games in a 72 game season they got one left I assume they're gonna lose but They've won 20 games, and I haven't been this optimistic about Pistons basketball in a really long time, but they won 20 games. So with the Tigers, I just kind of want to see a team that's fighting, and we're recording this shortly after Harold Castro has sort of uh, 
seen my single and Jacoby Jones scores in the uh, in the in the bottom of the tenth inning. It's an entertaining baseball team this week, and and for me that makes me happy because it doesn't look like a sorry team that we've seen the past couple of years. I don't know how much to credit that to AJ Hinch. How much has he figured out? How much is he like challenging guys? But it does seem to me he's had some effect here. I would give a lot of credit to this to AJ Hinch and and his entire coaching staff. I think they have challenged some guys. I think they've made guys earn playing time, earn innings. Um, I don't fully know the specifics of it, but it sounds like A.J. Hinch and George Lombard and Scott Coolbaugh kind of went back to the drawing board just in terms of how they're approaching hitting with guys, maybe game prep, maybe what they're working on in the cage. A.J. didn't get super into detail about it, but he kind of alluded to the fact they had some meetings, and it sounds like they tried to simplify uh, simplify things for guys. I think at the start of the year, they threw a ton of data at, at players, both offensively and defensively and pitching, maybe maybe to the point it had guys head spinning a little bit. And I think Hinch's coaching staff will continue to be very data-driven, but I think there was probably a reminder of, hey, yes, we want you to be educated, we want you to know, you know, be well-prepared, but at the, at the end of the day, you have to go out there and you have to hit the ball like, yeah, it'd be cool if you can hit for power. You got to put the ball in play. I think there was a little bit of just going back to the basics. And so far, you know, over time that has paid off. I think we're starting to slowly see more of AJ Hinch's fingerprints on things, more of Chris Fetter's fingerprints on the pitching staff. Um, that doesn't mean this team is going to turn around and make any sort of incredible run. But I think that does bode well going forward. Uh we would all like to hope that maybe the worst stretch of Tigers baseball is already behind us. I don't know if that's true either because I still look at this lineup and it's like, eh, I watched this team field the ball and it's like, eh, uh, but some positive developments recently. And honestly, I wasn't sure if I even expected that two weeks ago. You just did touch on this a little bit. Is it as simple? Cause this was a talking point on both radio and TV broadcast this week. Is it as simple as, all right, guys, don't focus so much on putting it three rows deep. Just try to, you know, get on base, essentially. That's sort of the what the broadcast have sort of indicated as sort of a change of what you just alluded to with uh, emphasis with the players from the coaching staff. We, obviously, the home run is the home run, but maybe did they realize, like, these guys ain't jacking. So let's maybe focus our approach a little bit. Is is that something you've picked up on? Yeah, I, I think you can tell a difference in just the way guys like Nico Goodrum and, and Willie Castro have approached some of their at-bats. Um, a little more of a two-strike approach we've seen in certain situations. So I'm sure it was some of that, and some of it was probably, hey, if you keep hitting 180, you're going to be going back down to AAA. So put the ball in play, and if you hit for power, uh, great. You know, and I'm all for the long ball. It is the most valuable thing in the game. A ball in the air is worth more than a ball on the ground. I'm not as anti, I don't like strikeouts, but like I get it, right? And if, look, it seems to work for the LA Dodgers just fine. It seems to work for a lot of teams just fine. Yes, strikeouts are up and offense across the league is struggling. But teams that do have powerful hitters, like you can make it work and maximize your abilities. The Tigers don't have a lot of powerful hitters. They have guys who aren't power hitters selling out for power or guys with a little pop like a Nico Goodrum 
trying to hit a six-run jack every every AB, going back to just hitting the ball hard or not striking out and moving the runner over, I think was a good way to simplify things, go back to the foundation, and then maybe try to build from there a little bit. Now you have a grounded approach as any, being a journalist covering this team. But I'll tell you, when I look at these lineups, I sometimes I got to pinch myself when I see Willie Castro batting 8th or batting 7th or, you know, whatever. And at this point, even if it's unspoken, it just feels like we, as a collective, have given up on him being a shortstop. And we talked about it talk last week with Nico Goodrum being the shortstop. Willie Castro at second base and batting bottom of the order. It's not that long ago that he popped off spring training with a home run. And last year with what he was able to do at the plate, it's kind of phenomenal that we're where we are right now with Willie Castro. Yeah, something A.J. Hinch said recently was like, it's not an accident. He hit well last year. It was sort of an accident, and he hit 349. His batting average and balls in play was 30 points higher than anyone else in the league. So it was sort of an accident. But it wasn't an accident that, uh, you know, he had a good line drive rate. It wasn't an accident that he hit the ball fairly hard in the first place. Like, he's better than the hitter we've seen right now, I think. I was never super sold on Willie Castro, but for defensive reasons more than the offense, I still thought this could be a guy who is a pretty good second baseman offensively. Um, and you look at him now and it's kind of like, okay, what's going on? I have a feeling that, that they can get more out of his bat, but maybe he's kind of like Jam- Jamer Candelario in 2019 where his, his head is spinning. Um, maybe even going back down to Toledo and getting things right would not be the worst idea because he's a talented hitter to a degree. He has a good track record of hitting in the minor leagues. He's better than what we're seeing but he is still a young guy, and right now if there's one real negative development, despite all the losses, I think it's the fact that you're looking at Willie Castro as like um, not actually being any sort of piece at all. Uh, I, I think it's a little too early to reach that conclusion, but that's the way things are trending. Reminder, that's what we were thinking with Jamer Candelario in 2019, though, so you kind of want to see Willie Castro make a similar turnaround. I wonder if that means... Not just going back to the basics, but maybe going back to the minor leagues for a couple weeks. Yeah, which, as I said, was unthinkable. And if we were doing a stock down, stock up of the team this year, he would have to lead the stock down, considering what we were thinking spring training and what he was doing, like I said, in spring training. But stock He is not exactly Dogecoin. He is not. He is not. What is Jake Rogers, though? Is there a cryptocurrency of Jake Rogers? Because I'll tell you what, this guy's looking like he belongs. We talked we talked about him a decent bit last week, and we had some fun with his mustache, which, by the way, still loud and proud there. And how, with the media, he was sort of, eh, you know, it's whatever. We're, you know, I just want to, you know, be here to play. But in actuality, he had to know that this was nothing short of an audition. He's playing like it's nothing short of an audition right now, flashing his defense. Even, you know, some pop in the bat had a home run the other night. I, I got to say, I like what I see from Jake Rogers. Yeah, and Jake's always had a little bit of pop in that bat. I also don't want to overreact to anything he does offensively because 
his track record suggests he's kind of struggled to hit at every level. He wasn't a great hitter in college. He was a good hitter in high school, but I don't know that anyone was like, this guy's going to the majors uh, just based on his bat alone. But I think it's good. He's he's had a good approach. He had a really good at bat against Jake Arietta, where he worked him 3-2, laid off a 2-2 slider that I think a lot of guys could have swung at. Then he got a pitch he liked. He put a very simple swing on it, and he crushed it. I think more notably, he has looked the part defensively, whereas in 2019, he was hyped up as this elite defensive catcher prospect, and then he didn't quite show it, and he had all these pass balls, and you saw the glimpses of the arm a couple times, but it seemed like he wasn't fully confident in his game calling. Well, in just a couple of games, Jake Rogers has looked very much like the uh, plus defender he's supposed to be in the major leagues. We've seen it with the arm. We saw a very athletic play and a great throw fielding a bunt. But I think it goes beyond that. It goes back to the little things. He and A.J. Hinch and Josh Paul really harped on all spring, setting upright, calling a game. I just The eye test tells me the sequencing has been really good with Jake behind the plate. Um, in addition to what he can do with his arm, he hasn't really let any, any balls past him. It's been a really encouraging start, and you can see why a lot of scouts really liked what this guy could do defensively. Um, he's shown it, and it's a small sample, but it's it, the defense is absolutely in there to the point that we'll see what happens Monday. Wilson Ramos is likely coming back. I would have a hard time sending Jake Rogers down. Eric Haas has also kind of shown himself pretty well. There's some talk. Could you keep Eric Haas around? play him in left field and, and send down a Joe Jimenez or something and, and stash an extra bench guy. I think that's at least one of the options the front office is considering. And that's really only because Jake Rogers has played so well to make that, to, to warrant staying up for a little bit longer. Yeah. And like I said last week with Grayson Griner, I mean, you know, what do you, What's the point? And and that's a little bit more harsh than what I intend. But if we're looking at this small picture, big picture, it's it it it's getting harder. Let me just phrase it like this: It's getting harder to justify Grayson Griner over a Jake Rogers or even a Haas because these are young guys that are getting their opportunity and they're performing well enough that you sort of have to see it play through. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always been the discussion. And it, it look, if Jake continues to defend at all the way he has and sequence pitches at all the way he has, he is providing you more value than we've seen at the catcher position since, I guess, since James McCann, maybe even pre, pre-James pre McCann, because he, he, you know, he got non-tendered as a Tiger because he wasn't that good as a Tiger. Uh, and he's just really shown the things you want out of a defensive catcher if he can at all hold his own enough to hit, like I think I said this last week, I, I don't even know if you have to hit 200 to stay on the Tigers right now. So if you can just uh, not be completely overwhelmed offensively, like he is, he is adding some real value, and that's encouraging to see. I think it's helped some of the young pitchers. I think it's it's good for the whole team um, to see a young guy out there playing like that and really giving you someone you can be confident in behind the plate. Speaking of someone who's bringing you value, I'll tell you what, dude. Every time Michael Fulmer comes out of the pen, I am juiced. I'm juiced because, number one, he looks juiced. And I don't mean that in a 
PED sort of way. He just looks like amped. You know what I mean? Like he just looks amped every time he comes in. He's throwing really hard off the mound. We we celebrated a when he first kind of got like uh, some closer situations early in the season, but then he went into the rotation, which you know, good for him. That's what he wants, and 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 he had some moments there as well. But him being the leverage arm. Just kind of coming in, throwing gas, not intimidated by any moment. We saw that this week. And I'll tell you what, every time he does it, I think, God, this really could be this guy's future. I don't know how much that aligns with what he sees himself or what AJ would like to do. But every time he comes in, I actually am pretty confident that he's going to throw the ball over the plate in an efficient manner. Whereas with Soto, yeah. You know, with Jimenez, eh, not really. Cisnero, whew, you know, hope that, hope that slider can cut a little bit. But with Fulmer, I have utmost confidence. And that's that's what you need in your back-end bullpen arms. That's why for as much as I love to watch Gregory Soto pitch, I was never sold on him being like the closer or the ninth inning guy because when you call to the bullpen for your closer, you want everyone in the stands to think, all right, we're winning this game. And with Soto, it's more like, let's see how he throws to the first batter. And if he just throws gas past the first batter, it's like, we're winning this game. And if he walks the first batter, it's like, oh, we're going to blow this save. And that's not really what you want out of a leverage reliever. Soto still brings a lot of value. But Fulmer, you've seen the experience. You've seen a guy who's been a very good pitcher in the major leagues before. He's a little bit of a veteran now. He knows what he's doing. And his stuff has just been absolutely filthy. Saturday against the Cubs, he gets Javi Baez down to two strikes, and he reaches back, and he throws a high fastball, high sinker, actually, 98.6. It was the fastest pitch he's thrown since June of 2018. His slider was touching 93, so 98 heat, 93 slider. Those are almost Gregory Soto numbers. Like yeah. that, that is That is how filthy Michael Fulmer is right now. I think if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. He has looked so good out of the bullpen. I would not mess with that until you have good reason to. Uh, right now, this this looks like a guy who is really finding a nice home as a late-inning reliever. And he should be pretty fresh. I mean, I'm looking at his logs right now. He hasn't pitched more than three innings since late April. And, you know, like, he as... One of the things that we're going to have to talk about sort of down the line this season is the the innings count, our own speculation of it with like the Mize and the Scoobles and the Mannings of the world. Uh, Fulmer is perfectly positioned to just kind of go out there whenever Hinch needs him because he hasn't pitched all that much this season. I mean, he had the start against, I mean, how long ago is that start against Houston seem? Yeah. Five innings. That's the longest he's gone. That. that- I think that was a different season, it feels like. But you did have the turnaround uh, in Boston where he had this the short-lived start and then closed the next day, even though he didn't log a lot of innings. I'm sure that you know took a lot out of him. He still threw a ton of pitches just in the bullpen. So you have to take that in consideration. He threw two innings Saturday. This is a guy that even though he's well removed from Tommy John and knee surgery now, I don't know that it's a guy I want to push uh, too hard just given his injury history. And here's a, this is unrelated, but another thing I worry we that, that, like was kind of foreshadowed today. Jose Urania took a ball um, off his ankle. He was down. It looked like he might leave the game. 
he ended up finishing and, and AJ Hinch said he's optimistic uh, that, that Urania will be able to stay in line just day to day right now. I was thinking, remember all this pitching depth the Tigers had in spring training? Like, it's already gone. And the Tigers also kind of have an albatross on their 40-man roster with Alex Fiedo and, and Joey Wentz um, injured but not going on the 60-day IL because that would require giving them A, major league service time, and B, a major league salary. So it was like, okay, if you lose another starter right now, who's who's taking that spot? You don't really have an obvious solution in Toledo. I don't think they're going to bring Matt Manning up just yet. Um, there's some other ideas, but the, the idea we kind of settled on the, in the press box is like, okay, maybe Tyler Alexander is the guy who goes back in the rotation and you make things work in the bullpen. You're probably the mo guys most likely to get a call from Toledo would be a reliever like Ian Kroll, um, who would have to be placed on the 40-man. So I worry that by the end of this month, uh, we could be running into some problems, and that could even affect um, how Michael Fulmer is used going forward. So the beginning of the July, the Tigers are down here in Texas. They play a three- or four-game series that's like a Monday to Wednesday or a Monday to Thursday or something like that. And I'm looking at going to at least one of those games. And I'm not going to buy any tickets well in advance because I kind of want to pick a date that one of the young arms is going, right? And I, I was telling my fiancé, I was like, you know, I don't have much interest in going to watch Jose Urania pitch. It's nothing against him. It's just like I want to see one of the young guys. And, and I think that's sort of anecdotal of the, like, attitude of Urania, I don't want, we haven't talked that much about him. Prior to today, he had gone sending seven innings and uh, going back to mid-April in every start. The guy's been a pretty nice pitcher for what he was signed to be, sort of like a Wilson Ramos type situation where you picked him up to do X and you're paying him a certain salary to do X, and he's done X. I mean, in terms of you know what you I think he's done more than that in terms of he's looked yeah, fair. Uh, he was a little bit of a gamble like a reclamation guy and he's he's I, I like you know, I like watching had a string pitch. of four starts where he looked really good. I was I was starting to feel a little bad for Jose Urania because it's like no one likes him. The fans wanted him gone after like one start. I I'll be honest, I'm the same way. I'm kind of like, "Oh, it's it's Urania day like you know, shoulder shrug." Uh, but then after he put together a string of really good outings, it was like, we got to start giving this guy some more credit. This is a guy who has been through a lot, who was, was um, nearly an all-star pitcher with the Marlins. He posted sub four ERAs starter, I two believe. seasons in a row, opening day starter, you know, and then he got hurt and he had some back problems and they tried to convert him to a closer. And then he got COVID last year and he was just never himself. And then DJ LeMahieu hit a ball that like, destroyed his forearm and kind of really some unfortunate things happened to this guy and he's worked his way back um you know he's not the most talkative interview not the most gregarious personality i think we got to respect jose urania a little bit if he continues to pitch well unfortunately he didn't pitch very well uh saturday but i don't know the guy was also kind of warrior he took a 109 mile an hour line drive off his Sheesh. ankle and he stayed in the game you know and i i hope he's okay uh, but let's throw some respect Jose Urania's way a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The guy is sort of the consummate 
major league pitcher. That's kind of what I've thought of, you know, this year. That's kind of how I put it. Is like the guy's just a consummate professional. He goes out there, he does his job. There's not a whole lot of fanfare with his uh, with his outings, but you know, ever since that kind of rocky start, I'm like, all right, Urania's on the mound today. Let's see, let's see what he can do. And and in terms of a rebuild, and and I'm not forecasting this guy being a part of anything down the line but in terms of a rebuild those are the kind of signings scouts like uh victories that you kind of want to hit on that supplement your core like it like if if this urania was here in three years we'd be talking about what a great under the radar signing great job by the scouts for identifying this guy because he kind of rounds out the team because the team is the way it is this year we're not talking about it that way, but that's the kind of that that's the kind of pro scouting that pushes the team over the top. So I, I just really think that that's worth mentioning with him. So a guy that we put our eyeballs on really hard, Tarek Skubal, had another one of those some really good, some ass, uh, and okay outings the other night whereas he uh he gives up some runs to the cubs but aj hinch leaves him out there in extra inning or as uh as it's been dubbed in Tigerland, and i assume this comes from aj uh developmental innings and the growing pains with school to me are all encouraging even when he does leave a ball over the plate a little bit longer he He's starting to get some guys that are uh, looking at pitches that a couple weeks ago are were over the plate enough that they were launching them into the stands. And what I mean by that is I think he's locating the other pitches better, so he's getting some, he's he's fooling hitters a little bit more, if that makes sense. In my very untrained eye, there are still plenty of pitches over the plate. But the fact that they are swing and miss or the fact that they are looking on two strikes tells me that he's setting other things up that these guys aren't keen on a hanging breaking ball or a fastball over the plate. Yeah, for me, the biggest difference is past two starts is just the fastball has been back to life a little bit. Two starts ago, it was, it was probably the best his fastballs looked um, maybe this regular season or at least since his first or second outing. And then in the first inning, in the sixth inning, his fastball was terrific. Even in those middle innings, I think he was doing a little better job getting ahead, spotting it, touching 97. Um, he talked post game about having to throw every pitch with conviction. And I thought that was interesting because Tarek Skubal is a very competitive guy. We're about to talk about his demeanor a little bit more uh, when we get to it here, but there's not a guy who's like taking pitches off, but I think it goes to show you any pitcher on the mound. Are you really throwing every single pitch with max intent? I think that can be a common thing uh, young pitchers struggle with, or uh, it, it seems like Scooble will miss with a pitch that maybe he just wasn't totally locked in on, and then he almost overdoes it trying to guide the next one to make up for that. And then he's, you know, a classic case of a young pitcher thinking too much. I think he has encountered that. And it's really thrown him off. Uh, you can tell when he's in a rhythm and when he is not. We saw him not be in a rhythm in the middle innings, and the Cubs just lit him up there. I think they hit uh, four balls with exit velos over 100 there in one inning. 
But he also rebounded, and he did a good job getting out of that sixth inning and giving his team an extra inning. And then when you look at the final line, it's like six innings, four earned runs. Uh, That's not sexy. That's not going to win you a Cy Young. But, you know, on a team with a better lineup, that gives you a chance to win the game. That's not a bad outing by any means. So going forward, it's still going to be about bringing it all together. That's what we keep talking about with Mize and Scooble. I think the good news, we are still seeing those flashes with Scooble. He's been better the last two outings than he was, you know, the two outings previous. I got to say, dude, like, what's what's the deal with this, like, cutter changeup thing? And what I mean by that is... Splitter. Sp- splitter. The the splitter. See, that's the thing. There's, like, there's so many terms kind of get thrown out there. With, <laughs> with Dan Dickerson on the radio, they talk about, well, you know... Fangraphs calls it this, but it looks more like that. And and even Scooble in his media Zoom sessions, there's some kind of two-step about like what the pitch actually is. And I kind of think like, is there any other example in sports where you would say like, well, you know, like this is it's not really a bounce pass. You know, it, it's it's more of a chest pass off the ground, <laughs> like like I like it's just kind of weird that we sort of like it, this is a baseball specific specific thing, but with Scooble, it's like there's like this mystery, and we've talked a little bit about it on this podcast. It's like this mystery about what is this? Is it a splitter? Is it a changeup? I mean, what what is it? I got I got one. I got a good comparison. It's like this is a pet peeve of both yours and mine in football when someone calls an end around a reverse. That's kind of what it's like. Ooh, ooh, good it's, one. It's a different thing. An end around is not a reverse. And an end around, you know, uh, a, a guy would come in motion. He would basically take a handoff, and then when an end around, he's pretty much just going to run around the tackle, usually up toward the sideline. If he actually reverses, he will literally reverse the play. He will hand the ball or toss the ball to another player, generally a receiver that's going to be uh, coming in motion from the opposite side. That's a reverse. If the guy keeps the ball, it's an end around. So a splitter, you're gripping the ball like a splitter. A changeup, you're not gripping the ball. You're not splitting your fingers all the way across the seams, which will then give it different spin characteristics, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to go too deep into all that. But there's been like an oddly communicated thing with Tarek Skubal, which leads to his demeanor in that a quick anecdote from AJ Hinch. He was just talking about Skubal's intensity in spring training. And he's like, yeah, you can just be sitting across having a conversation with them, and it feels like you're locked in a competition. And it's like, we're on the same team here. And that those really are what a lot of interactions with Scooble are like. He's very intense and not in a bad way at all, but especially after some of these performances where he hasn't pinch, pitched well, it's like he kind of has this death stare in these post-game press conferences. And I got a hard death stare the other night when I was like, so tell me what exactly happened with with like the splitter, uh, because if you recall, two starts or you know his previous start to this one, uh, AJ Hinch had basically said yeah he was using it as more of a changeup. He altered the grip a little bit. Uh, I then asked Tarek Skubal like did you change the grip and he was like no. I was like okay your manager just said you did now I'm confused. Hinch comes out the day before, the day of his next start. He gets asked the question again by another reporter, and he's basically like, no, he's he's going to be throwing a changeup. We kind of sat and it seemed like he wasn't getting the memo that we didn't want him using this splitter anymore because it hadn't been effective. 
It seemed like it had altered his mechanics or his delivery. If you think about releasing a split finger fastball, um, you're not really supposed to throw your arm, you know, slow your arm down. You shouldn't really do that on any pitch, but there's a tendency to guide it a little more. And I think because he was learning the pitch, he was doing that, which created a habit where he was almost slowing down his arm action on his fastball, which is why his velocity and his spin rates decreased. And hitters pick up on that. And hitters picked up on that, and his stuff just wasn't as good, so he was getting teed off on. Uh, So anyway, AJ and it seems like Chris Fetter finally had to sit him down and be like, we want you to scrap the splitter. Now, as a pitcher, that's got to be tough to hear because this is a pitch he went to work on at driveline. It was his shiny new toy, and now he was kind of getting it taken away. He was kind of getting it put put up on the shelf, and it's like, maybe when you're older, you can play with this toy, you know? Uh, so then I was, I asked him, you know, well, do you ever think you'll, are you just totally shelving the splitter? Do you think you'll bring it back at some point? You know, and I just got like this death stare that was just like, stop asking me about the splitter, you know? And he was like, I actually haven't even thought of that. Uh, He be lying. (laughs) Okay, man. Uh, now we know. It seems like Tarek wants to keep throwing the splitter, even though it's not in his best interest. And his start the other night, it appeared to me as though he was throwing more of a circle change. The pitch data showed it had more of a horizontal effect to it, which would reflect kind of your typical changeup that fades down and away from a hitter where uh, the best splitters have more of a dramatic, like, vertical action. So that that gets into, you know, some nerdy pitching stuff. But it's kind of become funny, and I think Tarek Skubal's reaction to it is funny. I think it's interesting. It does seem like they had to basically beg him to stop throwing the splitter. I don't mean the pun here, but a little inside baseball. If we were in a non-pandemic time, is this something you as a reporter would have a, I guess, easier time sort of getting to the bottom of? You could like go to school and sort of be like, hey man, like it seems like this and, you know, X, Y, Z, and you could kind of talk it out with him a little bit, maybe one-on-one, maybe just like a couple guys in there. Uh, as opposed to sort of having to just like ask a question via video call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in-person access changes everything, just the nature of being in a clubhouse. It can feel a lot more casual. I'm sure when these guys, you know, they get taken in this room, they put them behind a, a, a screen with the Tigers logo and like the Meyer logo and they're standing in front of a laptop. It probably feels like they're getting interrogated for committing a crime or something. So it's just a more tense setting in general where you can't really just be like, hey, I was like curious about your splitter. Um, It definitely changed the dynamic of things. I think I've alluded to this before, but I do think the coaching staff um, under AJ Hinch has kind of been like, hey guys, don't reveal too much to the media in terms of what you're doing. Like college football coaches do. College football coaches don't want you knowing their depth chart. They don't want you knowing who practice. We're seeing a little bit, not, not near to that extent, but a little bit of that under Hinch where there are certain things they don't want getting in the newspaper in case the other team sees it and it could give them any sort of competitive advantage. I said last week, any team that's getting their their scouting reports from a newspaper is terrible at scouting, uh, or the athletic and online publication, terrible at scouting. Uh, We all have video. We can all see the same thing. But I think maybe that plays into it a little bit too, or maybe Tarek was was wondering how much am I actually allowed to say about this pitch. And so we all watched the game. Um, They showed how you were gripping the ball on TV. Like, it's okay. And... 
Um, yeah, it's a, it, but it, it's just all more awkward and less real, and you can't really level with people like that via Zoom. And you can't do it as a reporter either. I feel like I have to ask this formal press conference-y question, and it just does not feel like a human interaction. Yeah, and, you know, this doesn't, this is not something that affects 99.999% of people, but hopefully we get to a time this season where the clubhouse will be open, and that could get into, like, whether teams would even want to do that, like, are they sort of, like, the pandemic has sort of given them the spoils of being able to control access a little bit more. So I, I don't know if ho- hopefully it do, for your sake and for, you know, the kinds of stories that we're used to seeing, hopefully that's something that changes. I don't know if there's any indication of change on that. Uh, there are some strong whispers that reporters will be allowed to interview players from the stands in the near future. So the reporter sitting in the stands, the player on the field, I guess you would still be like six feet apart. Interesting. And I, it's unclear if that'll be how much one-on-one access that'll be. If well, you almost do scrums, but outside sitting in the stands, I think anything is better than zoom, but that's still not really the same as being in the clubhouse. I'm still not optimistic about the idea of clubhouse access coming back this year, just because yeah, most teams and, and the union and the league would have to agree on that. I'm sure most players don't want reporters snooping around in their clubhouse. That I get that to a degree. It makes sense. Um, but obviously for the game and for the coverage of the game, you know, I do think overall it is better, which is why clubhouse access remains a thing in baseball. I hope it comes back by the end of the year. Um, it sounds like for now, one step at a time, although maybe with uh, you know the repealing of some of these mask mandates and the change in guidance there, if you're fully vaccinated, maybe that'll will trickle down um, and, and change things in terms of media and uh, access to players. I don't know. You know, it is worth mentioning because on this podcast and Twitter and all this stuff, the Tigers get a lot of flack. Major League Baseball itself gets a lot of flack. I actually think we should give them some kudos for, A, Major League Baseball this this whole season sort of having like a step-by-step uh, protocol and guidance for, uh, for teams and players getting vaccinated. So if you are, you get X number of players or percentage of players and staff vaccinated, then you don't lo- you no longer have to wear masks like in the dugout and stuff. I think when they played the Yankees a couple weeks ago, that was like the first game and and baseball mm-hmm. since 2019 where the managers did in the umpire or whatever didn't have to wear masks when they were exchanging the lineups because both teams had reached a whatever threshold for uh for having been vaccinated so the tigers are one of the few teams at the time it was four teams i'm sure the number has gone up since then but at the time it was four teams and i and i give credit to major league baseball for sort of saying like all right if you do this then you can do that and 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 so the state of michigan and and how it's dealt with covid and 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 sort of the fallouts from that and and still sort of the problems that are going on uh credit I, I believe credit to the Tigers and credit to Major League Baseball for incentivizing and actually acting on getting vaccinated and, and being more safe, I guess, is, is, is how I would put it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the Tigers were, were good role models for their community in that, that regard, and they have radio ads and everything like that. But uh, they were one of the first teams to get across that 85% threshold, and not every player is vaccinated. I, I have a good idea there are a couple, you know, at least who aren't, and they weren't forced to be vaccinated, so that's probably good too. But it sounds like that there were strong suggestions from leadership uh, from the front office to really encourage guys to get this vaccine, one, to be safe, number two, so everyone can kind of have some of their freedoms back. And I've also heard that, you know, there were some players who were on the fence and the Tigers did a very good job giving them um, basically any education, answering any questions they had. The majority of the team got the Johnson Johnson vaccine. We found out Jamer Candelario this past week was, uh, he missed a day with side effects from his second shot. So it sounds like, you know, if one of them preferred to get the the Pfizer or the Moderna with a higher efficacy rate that that was also available to them. It seems like the Tigers have handled this as well as any team in the league. And and I definitely think that is good as we move forward. And, and I say this anecdotally, this, this isn't supposed to be like the COVID portion of the podcast, but with what the CDC came out with this week with uh, the recommendations for people who are vaccinated and the Tigers announcing that fans no longer will be required to wear masks. I have been noticing that for a couple weeks that uh, on TV that <laughs> fans were not too keen to uh, to wearing the mask once they were sitting down. So uh, just just a little anecdote, not not passing any judgment there. So moving on, Cody. Real quick, I am I'm fully vaccinated. I'm still using an Apple computer. I don't think I have any uh, Microsoft products within reach. It's kind of it's kind of strange. Yet you don't have any Microsoft products <laughs> within reach. Yet, so there's no really good way to transition to this other than you know we just got to kind of talk it out. Uh, we finally got a little bit of closure, for lack of a better word. Uh, to Franklin Perez this week, and we've talked about, like, what do you do with him, what's wrong with him, and he goes to Los Angeles, gets his shoulder looked at, we talked about how his velo was way down in spring training, gets his shoulder looked at, has surgery, he, sort of like a formality of the process where he gets, uh, gets, like, cut or whatever, and then they sign him back to a minor league deal, his uh, his cert, his medical stuff is obviously taken care of there. That was a little bit of a brief concern by people uh, on Twitter, but that that wasn't the case. It was just sort of a uh, transactional deal. So AJ Hinch had said like, "Don't expect him quote for a while or, or or something to that effect." So what do we what do we know about Franklin Perez, and are we going to hear from him again? Yeah, as tins. To be the case with Franklin Perez, everything is still a little vague in that we never really heard exactly what his shoulder injury was or exactly what type of surgery he had. That was kind of a a common thing in his past where he missed time with arm weakness and a uh, right shoulder capsule defect and a lat strain that it wasn't clear if that was connected to his shoulder or not. Um, capsular inflammation, you know, all these vague things. He had never had surgery before, though, despite barely pitching for three years. I got curious. Uh, I called a, a shoulder specialist out in California and just started talking about the, the shoulder capsule a little bit because that's really all we knew about the latest Perez diagnosis. And he made a good point. He, he suggested that perhaps the Tigers 
or, or even independent specialists who I'm sure Perez had seen as well, might have had some diagnostic issues because it, it doesn't appear shoulder injuries, injuries in the capsule, which is pretty much a series of like tissue or ligaments that kind of keeps your ball and socket in place. An injury is not going to show up as clearly on an MRI as, oh, you have a torn AC or a torn UCL. Oh, you tore your rotator cuff. Basically, there'd be some sort of internal damage or inflammation. And, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it sounds like these things can often be trickier to accurately diagnose. It sounds like that that was very much the case uh, with Franklin Perez. In terms of shoulder capsule injuries, there are, there are different ones. There are, you know, traumatic ones that would be caused by like a car crash or something. There are kind of repeated use injuries that you could see um, with a pitcher. And then there could be a more severe thing where, you know, there's, there's an injury or some sort of minor tear in there that just gets worse over time. The more you're doing this overhead motion, it sounds like any surgery, assuming that this is kind of the thing Perez had operated on. And I'll, I'll write this in uh, Monday's Tigers talk column and I'll actually quote the doctor and it'll sound a lot more intelligent than I'm sounding right now. But it sounds like this is something that will probably cost him the rest of the year or at least a very significant amount of time. I think that's why you saw the Tigers um, release him to take him off the 40-man roster uh, to open up that spot. And they weren't going to put him you know, on the 60-day IL and pay him a major league salary when we don't really know what the future holds for this guy. It's, it's, it's sad as much as... You know, and I wrote about it. We like to criticize the Verlander trade and talk about that. And let's be honest, that's not good for the Tigers. That's not good for Alvila. It's also very sad for Franklin Perez. This was a promising young guy who has just not been able to stay healthy. Um, oftentimes, shoulder injuries can be more difficult to overcome than a modern-day Tommy John surgery. So it's very tough to know what the future holds for him. It'll probably be like starting all over again. Um, next spring and you know he'll be back in Lakeland probably doing a lot of the same stuff he's been doing it's unfortunate but if you pose the question will we ever see Franklin Perez pitch at Comerica Park again uh, again because he pitched there in summer camp last year will we ever see him pitch at, at Comerica Park it's very tough to say but I would say the odds are certainly uh, lower than ever and they weren't very high entering this year to begin with yeah, it just stinks. It, it it just stinks. And and you know, outside of any sort of like trade parts, like like you said, like this is was a promising young guy and because he was part of the Verlander trade. And I don't know how much of this he's aware of in general, but you know, because he was part of the Verlander trade, he was like the gem of the Verlander trade. Like he's not looked at in a positive light based on what has happened since then and and, you know, you feel for the young guy. You, you know, at the end of the day, it's a young man who's trying to, you know, fulfill a dream, make a career. And because it's baseball, we, we see everything. We talk about it. We write about it. And, you know, it just it just stinks that it hasn't worked out for him. So, again, not a easy, not, not a cool transition uh, to do from that. Hopefully he gets better and, you know, he can become a major league pitcher even if it's not what he once was he can kind of fulfill that dream so looking forward i cody number one i'm still holding on to my Derek hill stock we saw some uh some outfield gems uh this week over in triple a and 
I'm welcome. I'm welcoming anyone who wants to get on the Dylan Dingler hype train with me. He had a home run, what was that, two days ago? He's picking guys off at second base. I mean, I I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's got some oppo, and those are like oppo home runs as well. I'm not seeing really anything that makes me think that this train should slow down, man. Like, I, we, we saw this week your boy at the Athletic, Keith Law, put Henry Davis at number one on the uh, on the big board and you know Henry Davis who man we got Dylan Dingler uh, what, <laughs> what do we need Davis for we we, we got the, the catcher of the future at high a ball killing it he's killing it best player available what if Henry Davis is there nothing wrong with having two catchers you can trade one of them uh, Dylan Dingler is a versatile athlete maybe he could even play elsewhere no D- Dingler I'm still I'm still trying to tamp everything down. This is his first two weeks at uh, high A, but he didn't slow down over the past week. Dan Hasty, the broadcaster at West Michigan, very smart baseball guy, says he's going to be a top 100 prospect by the end of the year. Dan Hasty says that there's probably a lot of truth. I believe to it. it, man. Uh, I, I'm I'm thinking about going to venture over and see Dylan play. I actually don't know if the the Whitecaps are home next week. Can we get a We'll, we'll, we'll check the schedule after this episode, but the Tigers are playing at like 10 p.m. on the West Coast, so uh, I don't know that, that I'm going to be getting a lot out of those games. I would like to venture over and see Dylan Dingler play, especially if he continues to perform like this. What do you make of, of your colleague putting Henry Davis number one? Because we were actually texting about it this week. We were kind of like, you know, top catcher in college baseball though usually those guys get ranked a, a little bit higher than Henry Davis is and, and we just kind of like dipped our toe into the water I guess would be the best way to put it and you you flash forward two weeks and now Keith Law as renowned a uh, a draft guy as there is puts him at number one and it's like, ah, oh, man, we should have hit we, I, I literally said it's like we should have hit this harder because <laughs> we were we were at we were ahead of it, man. We should have. My my instinct my instinct was kind of telling me like this guy has everything you could want. His plate approach is insane. His plate discipline is off the charts. He can hit for a little bit of pop. There are some mixed reviews on how great of a defensive catcher he actually is, uh, but there are some people who think he's really good. And it was like this guy, he's a college bat. It's like this guy seems like a really surefire thing and he just kept rising and rising up draft boards my theory is we got to this point where the hype of rocker and lighter meant like we just weren't ever going to put anyone over you know rocker and lighter or 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 jack lighter and finally someone was like i think the best player in this class is henry davis that required jack lighter you know missing a start that required a little more up and down from kumar rocker but I'm not actually surprised by this. I've been hearing the whispers. I think this is a really, really good talent. Peter Gammons, who might know a thing or two about what he's talking about, says he's the consensus best player in the class. Could go one, won't fall lower than three. The Tigers happen to have that number three pick, so I wonder if there was anything, uh, you know, any sort of insight there. I still think the Tigers really, really like Marcelo Meyer. I know uh, David Chad has been out to see Meyer. He's also been out to see Rocker. The game he saw Rocker, Kumar Rocker did not fare too well. Gave up a couple of homers, uh, from what I am told. 
But I think if Davis rises to number one, it changes the entire complexion of this draft. If you're the Rangers, are you really locked in on Jordan Lawler if Jack Leiter is available? You know, and if are you really if you're the Tigers, are you really locked in on Marcelo Meyer if uh, Jordan Lawler is available, or if Jack Leiter is available, or if Kumar Rocker is available? I think this draft could get really weird if Henry Davis actually goes uh, in the top two picks. Are you still? Because you know what, one too long ago on this pod that you said, you know lighter one one are you still comfortable with that status for lighter i'm comfortable with it i almost think davis might be safer i think dave davis just has the makings of a of an all-star major league catcher so it's highly valuable he's coming off as as a sure thing at a kind of a rare position i'm starting to get really big on henry davis right now for sure all right, so Cody, I, uh, I I went to my neighborhood Kroger this week, and I'm sure they do something similar in every state of which they're based, but when you go to a Texas Kroger, they have like a, you know, Texas section of things, you know, like, you know, stuff from our state or whatever, and so I had had my eye on a particular barbecue sauce for a while, and I finally got it, and I finally tried it now the reason it caught my eye was because it was a chicken specific barbecue sauce and that is not something that i see a whole lot i i I can't really think of another sort of example off the top of my head so i got it i did my usual barbecue grilled chicken smoked it in it mixed it up once i uh broke it off I gotta tell you, man, it's pretty good. I got it right here. It is from Stanley's Famous Pit Barbecue in Tyler, Texas. So shout out to East Texas, Tyler, Texas. It's a, it's they call it their clucker sauce. Apparently, at this specific restaurant, they have a famous mother clucker chicken sandwich. <laughs> that's Clever. that's what it's called, and that this is the sauce they they put on it. Let me tell you something. You know, in like Back to the Future, the third one, when uh, when Doc Brown like takes a shot of whiskey and then he passes out because he has no alcohol tolerance and they have to do some wake up juice. Well, if you were to make some wake up juice, you would put this stuff in it because it's got that spicy flavor that like lingers on your lips for a good 10, 15 minutes after you're done eating, if that makes sense. And it's really good. It's really good. I, I, I assume it's not available in a Michigan-based Kroger, but if you are in Texas or if you feel the need to visit this site, visit the site of the restaurant, Stanley's Pit Barbecue in Tyler, Texas. Maybe you can get it mailed, but highly recommend some good spicy barbecue sauce specific to chicken they also have a generic bar i don't want to say generic that that's insulting but like they're just staple barbecue sauce i also bought that i have not tried it i did try their clucker sauce which if that's on their mother clucker sandwich maybe i gotta go visit tyler texas because that sauce was really good I think up in Michigan, we're, we're starting to get more Texas products, or maybe just because I'm looking harder now. I took a peruse, I perused down the salsa aisle at uh, Meyer, 
And I found Mateo's made in Frisco, Texas. I would rank it normally as my second favorite salsa behind Shout out Frisco. Clint's Texas Salsa. I got some. It's available at Meyer uh, up here in Metro Detroit. Get the hot because it's actually not that hot. The mild is, if, if you get the mild, I don't have much respect for you. Get the hot. The hot is kind of like a mild. I had it with some um, Ann Arbor Tortilla Company tortilla chips. Uh, so actually a nice mix of Texas and Michigan. It was a great combo. Would recommend Mateo's for sure. All right. Very good. So uh, we, we talked last week about your competitive nature. Uh, which, by the way, I, I have a little spiel ab- about uh, being competitive that I want to get off my chest. Uh, for me specifically, I'm like a zero to a hundred kind of guy. Like it's either like, oh, okay, like if you're playing uh, water pong, not beer pong, moms out there listening, water pong, not beer pong. You know, it's like oh, okay, this is just kind of light fun. And then there's like a hundred where. Uh, you know me, I've, I've gotten into some verbal altercations before while playing recreational, uh, sports, but I had a, I had a guy tell me like a guy that's like, uh, in my friend group, he goes, you know, I hear you're a pretty good athlete, but I've just never seen it. And I was, Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, an insult. I was, wow. I was like, dang dog. Like, <laughs> well, what did I do to you? What did I do to you? I was like, golly. I was like, but I, if I, I was zero then, but if I was 100, there have been some MFers thrown out there. Like, cause I I'm kn- surprised that didn't put you to 100. Uh, I was, uh, ah, that's cold. I was just like, Jesus, dude. Like, what the? I was like, well, you know, I play full court basketball, you know, somewhat frequently next time. And I know this guy is a terrible athlete. That's the thing, too. I, he is a terrible athlete so i was like okay like he was like but he was like with his new girlfriend and he was like kind of feeling himself a little bit so i didn't want to like i didn't want to put i think you should have put him in his uh, place maybe i should have but i just didn't i just didn't want to you know i i i I had to go with zero it was like zero to 100 i was like i had i had to just kind of go zero this is actually uh this is only a couple weeks ago but i was like Okay, bro. Well, next time we play, next next time you want a ball, I'll 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 hit you up. So, but anyway, so I just had, that was my little competitive spiel. Uh, did you win your mini golf outing from last week? Well, funny story. We had planned to go to Royal Oak Golf Center. Turns out for some reason that closes at like seven or eight on Mondays. Open until like eleven normally or ten. Close at eight on Mondays. I don't know if that's a pandemic thing or what. I feel like. Surely people want to go use that driving range out there like later at night. I think that's silly. So we couldn't go there. Uh, And apparently there aren't great mini golf options around Metro Detroit. If I missed one, feel free to let me know the recommendation. Had to drive all the way out to Garden City. And there was a little mini golf place there. and, uh, And I'm meeting this girl there. And I show up first. And I get out and I'm like, this place looks closed. (laughs) sure enough it was closed and so that was an awkward wait in the parking lot as i search on my phone like what else can we go do we're not near anywhere cool in metro detroit um luckily she was a good sport about it again we ended up just hanging out at a bar for a little bit had a good talk but i did not get to show off my superior athletic ability in putt-putt golf um i think that one's going to be rescheduled if we get there she might not want to see me again after this coming Sunday in which we will have a board game night 
Uh, I also do not oh, intend gosh. to let her win at Sorry or any board game. So we will see if we can ever get back to mini golf. Uh. <laughs> what the people don't know, Cody, is that, <laughs> is that I've seen... You've seen every one of my faces, and I've seen every one of your faces. And so even, like, the board games, uh, it's like, no, 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 this qualifies as that. You know, you know it's like it, it can get pretty heated. So it's, it, there's no reprieve just because you're playing sorry. <laughs> there's no reprieve from it. Oh, man. Yeah, good stuff, Cody. And you know what? Tigers are at least playing fun baseball right now, so that makes things a little bit easier to swallow. And next week with a West Coast trip, uh, if they're playing interesting baseball, maybe that helps you stay up a little bit later with <laughs> with the ten o'clock uh, with the ten o'clock first pitches over there. So uh, right now there is a special going on at the Athletic, one dollar per month for a six month price, a six month subscription. Uh, heck of a deal. Highly recommend it to those that are not subscribers to The Athletic because Cody does a great job on the Tigers. James Edwards III does a great job on the Pistons, and that Pistons content isn't slowing down just because the season is over, got draft lottery, got NBA draft stuff. No, no, no. You don't want to read about the NBA. You want to read, I mean, read James. He's great, but you want to read about the Detroit Tigers. That's where the intrigue is at, baby. Hey, in season, only game in town right now, baby. Only game in town right now. And hopefully more fans can also go to the stands as uh, as we continue to advance in a good direction with the pandemic. So, so next week, we are going to dive deep into Matthew Boyd. We haven't talked about Matthew Boyd all that much. We're going to dive deep into Matthew Boyd. We'll talk about the Tigers transactions during this, you know, kind of long rebuild. We'll, we'll go into all that. So look forward to that next week. So that's why we ha- we didn't really talk much boy today. We're going to dive deep into that next week. So please stay tuned to that. You can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at turn corner pod. Please subscribe, rate and review. We appreciate all the re- reviews we've gotten, we appreciate all the subscribers. Spotify, Apple, please subscribe to The Athletic so Cody can continue to feed his dog, who did not make an appearance today. But that doesn't mean that she's, uh, that doesn't mean that she's sound asleep. She is sound asleep. It is late night. So I appreciate you staying up with us tonight, Cody. And we will talk to you next week. So for Cody Stamenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.